Hello, and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode 103 with... Joseph Makos and... Joseph Bievenin. This is the good, bad, and the ugly, isn't it? Some ugly shit out there, kids. Let's make the world safer for poetry. So a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to uh, see a very special performance at um, uh, Peter and Paul Performance Space in the Marini. Uh-huh. And it was uh, this real sort of, I don't know, I, I, I never really seen anything quite like it. There was a string quartet and a bass and a sound uh, engineer doing sound art and, and composition on top of that. And then um, a uh, sax player and, and a vocalist and percussionist. Um, and it was quite a, a beautiful setup and the, the, the way it was all laid out and it was this mixture of, uh, of, uh, multi-language poetry, French and Spanish and the Creole and Creolite, I believe was the title of it. Uh, Stranger Creolite. Yeah. yeah. And we have, uh, uh, one of the performers there with us today, uh, Joseph Derensberg. Uh, Hi. how are you? Great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great. It's great to have you here. And um, yeah, I think uh, I think uh, there's there's there was a lot of there was a lot of um, I felt like I was introduced to a lot of things that night that I was like sort of my mind was blown open to as I'm as I'm becoming more interested in later in my life in in, in things and studying history and understanding the sort of interconnectedness of language and um, sort of even getting down to like sort of uh, pathologies of language and how words come in and where they really come from and thinking deep in that and also thinking about poetry and how those things, some of those things maybe come through the culture through poetry. And um, that sort of, I thought of that that night, all those sort of things as watching you all perform. And um, I know that you have some, some processes and ways that you've been working through language in song and lyric and, and and that so can you come and tell us can you tell us a little bit about it? yeah um the name of our group is uh this music group is called Les Sennel, and Les Sennel is a collection of poetry luckily for this topic um that um was created in 1845 by a group of uh New Orleans uh Jean de Colo de Livre uh people that were free people of color who play a big role in preserving identity that uh, I'm related to. And so in its own language and collection of poems, not many people realize this actual document, um, which is about 17 poets. That's a compilation that was uh, produced by uh, Edward uh, Dedoon, I don't want to get names mixed up, but the main thing is Les Sennel is what I was able to name the group when I was approached about doing a project that started about a year ago, and that's how we were created. So Les Sennel is a term, it's a word that we would know in English, uh, Mayhawberry, a Mayberry, or Mayhawberry, uh, Hawberry is another type of berry that you may jam, and eat the little berries. Uh, they're 
good for growing in harsh environments and kind of wild environments. And this poetry was created during Reconstruction in light of people who were in a pickle. They were in between race. They were in between social status. And these poems represented their saying that they existed. And it was an Americanization challenge um, on them that they were able to read and write and own property and and America meant you can no longer do that. You can no longer, you're not welcome, you're going. So they cleverly created this poetry as a protest to say that not only do we exist, but we're taking the inspiration from the French uh, Revolution and a lot of really serious um, uh, radical thought. So the poems represent uh, the symbol of that. And that's what, in naming the group that, I felt it was pretty instrumental that it gave me the um, the strong uh, worthiness and authenticity that I needed to participate at this point in my life of where how all these things represent me, but how they actually tangibly represent me rather than a frivolous, oh, I have an interest in poetry. It's like, mm, this is a little bit more profoundly interesting to me. So the group decided to wear that uh, costume and decoration and take off. And what you got to see was uh, a year celebration of our first concert that we produced in a place that gave us uh, residency and access to uh, inviting um, the city uh, to come see and witness what we did. So, Yeah, it was very playful. It was very live. It was very engaging. Uh, there was sort of a, a sonic bath wash aspect to it in certain ways. And then also, but like this, this blending in and out of, of poetic and, and, and music and, and, uh, and, 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 and music in so many different ways and, uh, composition mm -hmm. and uh, individual expression and um, uh, it's it's basic sounds and then uh, the uh, environmental sounds all the way up to like high orchestration and composition of everyone playing in even with the audiences being an instrument as well uh, so for the for these historical poets that this that was the inspiration for this was this. What was the result of that after the publication of this? Did it get... There are only five actual copies in existence now. And <clears throat> some of the uh, francophone immersion programs and schools outside of New Orleans, they're sort of utilizing those copies. Uh, for example, uh, Zachary Richard had a copy and was sharing it with people. Um, and a cousin, another cousin of mine uh, was able to... Uh, touch one. Uh, I haven't actually touched one, but I am a certified uh, professional book binder uh, and uh, master binder and uh, preservationist of uh, documents and, and books, which these books of poetry, I actually made these ledgers uh, in Boston when I worked for a hundred year old bindery uh, and exploring my own uh, interest in collecting, uh, actually just collecting words and language related to my own identity as a Creole growing up in uh, New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
Did I miss a question? No, no, that's no. I mean, yeah, no, not at all. That, okay. uh, but I guess I was just wondering: is it are there so few left? Was it widely distributed at the time? And we not just, at all because no. it was it was very strict about how this poetry could be disseminated uh, by virtue of just not provoking any revolutionary thought. Uh, so they had to be clever. They wrote poems in a romantic way. So they did this very cleverly, cleverly, and it got to the sort of Creole elite who were children, uh, Andriette DeLille's uh, of the Couvent School, and children would write these poems, uh, and their literacy, literacy was built around some of this actual poetry to yeah. become sort of interior uh, um Ages of, of protection for, for the mind and soul of people who were in this predicament of Jim Crow law affecting their status um, overnight. But it was just still too inflammatory. For uh, it to... If you were intelligent enough, you could see uh, the topics were romantic ideas, speaking about freedom, speaking about a few things, but just like in gypsy poetry, um, they don't really actually address actual uh uh groups that are oppressing them they actually do it from a longer older tradition um and recite that in their actual daily it's almost like uh what do you call it um pandering like the pandero the instrument the drum yeah they're, yeah. they're given this storyline in a troubadour way so so this instrument is a kind of a renaissance uh instrument that has a think of these songs they're like movie themes of Romeo and Juliet and um we you know it's poetry has a large family and uh tree that that I mean I never had any interest in poetry until it started to hit me it went where it was actual poetry uh one of the poems we actually did uh recited uh in music was written by a slave from St. Landry Parish. Um, and the music was uh, created, the melody was created by Dave Greeley, a uh, fiddler um, in southwest Louisiana that Linda Ross Ed and Anne Savoie uh, recorded. But their sort of distance to it was interesting. And my personal interest was, I was interested in a song to devote to my grandmother, who I, did, I didn't know, but she had died, and her name was Marie. So the song is called Marie Muri, and the guy in our group who does a lot of the techno technology part of our group, he composed a, a new arrangement of, of the piece, and it really started to take on this kind of more industrial, but kind of uh, strange effect that was really uh, eerie. and. We played at the pharmacy museum, and while we were playing it, the subject was about a bird telling someone that Marie has died. So while we were playing, and the tech, the technical sense happened, all these birds started singing and kind of <laughs> flapping their wings and stuff while we were playing. It was eerie, but it was beautiful. It was haunting. It was really romantic. And, and so poetry was touching people in a way that had a future a past and and a present in your own 
which kind of you explained well about there was a lot going on, but I never get to know that as an artist. People are gone by the time I walk up to the aftermath. It's like, well, everybody's gone. Yeah. Nobody wants to hang out, but but it was a fun occasion to to actually put that to work. So yeah, well, I like that idea too of like something being able to reach across time. <clears throat> Like that Absolutely. too, yeah. That's the yeah, yeah. Which in this environment we're in right now, <laughs> yeah, is basically we're in a we're room surrounded of it. But <laughs> yeah, I certainly may have been in this building to buy shoes uh, when this was a Jewish neighborhood. That I, man, let's see. My father baked at Leidenheimer Bakery. That's uh, eighteen ninety four. Yeah, that's not too far. It's a few blocks from here, but. My grandfather baked there. My great-grandfather baked there. And I'm part of a long German uh, Creole mix of people that are part of the Jean de Coulour uh, that own the plantations, the sugarcane plantations, and married into the Ishak Atakapa Nation and the Germans that came here in 1720 to settle the German coast, uh, Côte d'Alemont which is my sixth great grandfather. Um, but Germans in Louisiana did what they did when they came here. They were farmers, bakers, shoemakers, and my family, are st they're still involved in these businesses. And, uh, you know, I can go around the corner and get pumpernickel sourdough, rye bread. <laughs> and it's So time didn't slip away from me. I can go back into a hundred, 200 year old, identity that my ancestors actually shared with me and and still taste it smell it um hear it and and the poems give me a sonographic image of my grandmother and my great grandparents i i can utilize their language that was a lingua franca that i sang in that um basically colonial uh groups had to kind of cater to um the commerce of the time and once that started getting personal, I really appreciated that if I share this with a lot of the communities who are, are part of this, who really don't know they're part of it, they may find some placement and uh, authenticity into their own explorations of sorts. And poetry may be another vehicle for them. So, Yeah. yeah. Do you have something you could read us? Uh, something? Uh, yeah, let's, um, let's see. These ledgers uh, that I made, they really represent exploring a lot of other languages and cultures until even that night somebody came up who, who was Greek uh, and she said, oh, I thought you were Middle Eastern. And I said, no, my mom's here tonight and uh, I do play a lot of different ethnic musics from around the world, but this was a journey I needed to... Uh, explore on this personal level but for example let me grab one of the simple poems uh this one is uh one that would be kind of an old second line idea that marching groups would recite at a uh funeral and so we did this sort of last it's a uh, en avant grenadier and it's forward march grenadiers um and what's being said is, on avant grenadier, saki mouri na parachon, on avant grenadier, saki mouri ton pipouyi. Um, basically what's being said is, 
Forward march, grenadier. He who gets shot for him, no rations. Uh, forward march, grenadier. He who gets shot for him, the worse. And then there's this chant of la 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 that we all did together and some of the audience people participated. But it's one of these old poems that were collected around uh, another uh, Creole of uh, German descent in Louisiana was uh, Louis Moreau Gottschalk. He and his sister, they collected poems that uh, were folk field, uh, field work that they collected from people that were their nannies and, uh, you know, people that, servants that took care of them. And he had a connection to the Saint-Domingue uh, groups um, that came in and revitalized uh, the French uh, language in, in Louisiana. But this language is, uh, we call Curivini or Gumbo, and it's Creole, but a lot of people are in a big disconnect to this language which I wanted to just uh, bring a little bit more to life. So this was a march and a chant that people actually said. Uh, this part where it says, ton people ye, or people ye, basically that's like quesera. He who gets shot, well, for him, the worst, but he who gets shot, well, too bad. So a lot of families still use a lot of these strange expressions <laughs> in some of the Indian chants and like, hey, Pocky Way, get out of the way. We, we're we actually saying all this stuff that, you know, linguists and a lot of people would be fascinated. And luckily, Dr. Klingler at Tulane University has uh, interviewed most of my family in Point Coupee, Louisiana. And I have good relationships with a lot of uh, linguists in New Orleans that have kind of helped me navigate a lot better. Um, but in this case of my own experience with the language, it was a strange journey with a lot of Cajun uh, musicians like the Balfa family and Steve Riley and the Mamou Playboys and John Dubois and Al Barard. A lot of these people are gone now, but it kind of put me in a market of um, working with artists who were preserving my culture and I wanted a role in it as well. So that's what Lesanel manifested into finally like, oh, I'm singing my music. Yeah, but that yeah. night, somebody Greek said, "Oh, I thought you were Middle Eastern," <laughs> and I said, "No, I'm uh, I'm Creole. I'm Louisiana Creole." And and it was great to celebrate that night without termites because <laughs> they have been swarming. In yeah, place. yeah, yeah. So anyway, sorry. No, was... <laughs> no, but yeah, but uh, well, that is the neat thing: all the blending of the languages. Mm. Although it's kind of hard to to detangle sometimes and some, some of that <laughs> can be but if you're with the right company sometimes um i also play medieval music with uh the oldest early music group in the country called new orleans musica de camera and one of the members uh the other night for dinner i made a phrase uh about at the concert i said my mom used to make couscous for me and one of the members of the group recited a poem or chant that they said at LSU. They said something about kush kush, uh, something push push. And she said she hadn't thought of that in a long time. <laughs> so a lot of the people uh, and communities that really have forgotten a lot of their uh, everyday language or, or idiomatic expressions um, 
this is a wealthy place, uh, and yeah, and yeah. just like the fertileness of the Nile and the Mississippi River, we kind of need to um, really take just take a slower look and and kind of uh, I don't want to say uh, frack, but want to kind of really extract. Some of this stuff. Till, that, maybe, or something. What do you call it? Till, maybe. Yeah, till some soils, rich soils and nutrients that I think everybody's kind of hungry for. Because, I mean, we get bored with the th- sort of frivolous, les les bon relay stuff that anybody can just say. But what does that mean, anybody? That's the idea, is that I wanted a relationship with uh, my culture. And this is uh, the way I, I actually get to kind of act that out in in an artistic way so yeah 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 so so megas you are you were at the show did you notice like how the language played out in the way it was presented in the presentation or i mean yeah i think i think like uh the way i mean it was like it was like some of it was like the language was musical but was its own thing when it needed to be, but also like played in with the music. It, I don't know. I felt, I felt like it was very balanced and blended very well. Um, uh, I don't know. I'm thinking about your, your instrument that you brought here and, and, um, uh, kind of the way that, the way that, uh, the way that the instruments sort of mask our voices anyway, you know? And, and like, so like there's a voice that comes through with the language, but then there's like, an instrument that's sort of playing a song, but the type of instrumentation that you had, especially with string instruments and a quartet of string instruments, going from the the the, um, the highest notes to the lowest notes to the bass, I, I feel like it plays to something that's really natural to the to voice in general. That's a interesting observation. I'm a string player, so I play a Ancestor of the violin with musica da camera, uh, which is called a rebic. It uh, is a sort of uh, the instrument I play was made by my uh, director of the group. And violin is a voice, uh, and it does imitate the voice uh, pretty well. But my relationship with the group is also from not needing to play the violin because we're actually six string instruments of then four we have a large uh bass we have uh viola we have three violins and sax and we had a keyboard and a few other things but uh neighborhood story project is where we kind of were born uh last may for a project that we worked with uh their work in preservation of uh creole um uh, language and culture and identity and uh, without that I don't think I could have uh, created a, a group of my own uh, fancy it, it got me off my lazy bum to uh, to just pull forward like the on avant it, the, it, it was like let's go he who gets shot you know will get no <laughs> ration so I got my rations and it's really lovely uh, to hear other people's uh, the impression that it made on others, because uh, you know, otherwise, you know, art masturbation can get pretty boring. Um, and if it doesn't spin gold or anything beautiful, you know, it's kind of self-serving or a vanity pressing that nobody ever gets to see. So 
those poems uh, that I only recited one poem, uh, which was actually from the collection of uh, the Lessonelles. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, that one. Uh, is it was in French, but it was one mentioning the actual Sennels. Oh, okay. Uh, but I'll read this in English. Uh, this poem. Um, let's see. I didn't recite it in English at the performance, but uh, this was Le Sennel. Fate gave you the work of gathering again the holly berries to keep their flowers for all the world. For a long time they lay in darkness like the noble heart of French Louisiana. It will be your courage that will guide our history to more fruitful fields. The hawberries they grow once again strong and beautiful, like your faithful Creole love. So that hmm. was pretty powerful to be able to add. And that was a song in case we uh, broke a string or something went wrong or we had you know time to waste. And we ended up doing it as an encore. And my French is, you know, I mean, I grew up speaking German. So French for me is kind of boring to speak because there's not a lot of French speakers around because we have so many dialects conflicting with that. Yeah. So, um, uh, so working with the medieval group, I sing in a lot of languages and a lot of French dialects that the actual troubadours, uh, spoke, uh, Provence, Catalan, um, Galician. So these old medieval poems uh, and and songs, I'm I'm able to utilize uh, my love for language um, in this group, which is kind of handy. But um, this uh, reading in French was kind of a. Uh, one of the uh, cello players was improvising, and and I just just read that poem in French as the best I could. But it was uh, nice that we got to that point where yeah, let's do one more, and and the band was relaxed, and we or ensemble was relaxed, and I felt uh, kind of proud that I was able to get that one more in that was that meaningful. I could I didn't have the time to translate it, but it was just kind of nice that. That was my intent, and I think that that's the power of um, poetry, that the intent is much more powerful than the actual words or the occasion. It just shows how uh, timeless and uh, how uh, ephemeral, not, well, not ephemeral, uh, perennial, this idea can just be life-lasting, I guess, you know, beyond us. There's a uh, Horace uh, or Ovid um idea of poetry being more stronger than bronze or stone or marble. Uh, my lyrics uh, are, that's when you write an ode to someone, it's yeah. a more powerful monument to someone. So I always like that idea. So Yeah, the idea of the, the sort of like monument that you build up and create out of, I mean, it's like, it's actually, it's requires like a lot of responsibility 
and that's a situation where you're building up something. I feel like it was very clear to me in the performance that you were um, evoking something that was like sort of bigger than than the 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 thing that's created when the the disparate elements based in lineage and musical lineage and poetic lineage when those things are sort of built together and constructed together it can live anew in a new way that's greater than the intention of anybody really there like you're you're building it and giving it new life and it's it's like a new thing unto itself and like it was clear that you had masterful understanding but also like we're having an experience of it yourselves definitely um, and it's like that's fresh and new every time because there was so much play between the band yep. and the group and the way that you interacted. There was like, you know, you you were like looking out for each other, yeah. And there was this conversations going on internally, yes. And then there was the larger group conversation going on, and you know, I I I just really I enjoyed watching it on all those different levels and being educated and all and also like being in a, being in a place where I felt like I don't with all the people who are there and just like kind of feeling like I don't necessarily know where I am right now, but mm. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Well, you know, for me, it's important to have people in the audience like you who can um, appreciate that sort of ineffable idea that I can't really uh, relate to a lot of other uh, people that way. Uh, I need those ears in the audience that, that feel that sensibility. Um, uh, for example, uh, it's not just language I'm working with, but language that, that was a road to my understanding of that and, and being more confident with it. Um, I've got, these books are grammars as well that I'm, I'm holding. They represent my learning ancient Greek, which in New Orleans we have like the oldest, uh, Greek community in the country. Uh, most of them are from the island uh, Hios. And again, their Please You Cafe right up the street, their family is Mina's Cafe and a few other uh, different groups of Greeks um, who just had their festival um, that many other people who aren't Greek uh, sort of attend in folk dance. And these grammars are sort of a testament to my learning Greek from uh, one of the... Uh, family members of uh, Mina's Cafe, uh, which was next to a uh, Crescent City Books that I worked at for a couple of years. Um, and I was playing some music, which was actually poetry from Sappho from the uh, 8th century. And this woman came in and she was sort of, what is this? And uh, she wouldn't say anything, but she finally came up. She says, I am Greek. What is this? And I said, it's <laughs> Sappho. She said, I don't know what this is. So it was great <laughs> triumph that she's, we, she, we made friends and she started bringing music to me and all this really great stuff. But she also invited me to coffee and she taught me the Greek alphabet and we developed a relationship around music and me being able to read my lyrics, um, in the original language. And then there was a, another friend who was, uh, he's still the director of, uh, Latin and Greek at uh, Jesuit, and th all these linguists and people started coming out of the woodworks to, to help me in this real esoteric 
uh, kind of antiquated um, uh, education and independent scholarship that led to having the luxury of what I do. But what goes far is this evidence, these actual documents um, are going to end up in some archive. But the irony is they came, the the actual physical thing, uh, the bindery I worked in in New, e- New England, these are the actual things you go to City Hall to find your deeds, births, <laughs> marriages. And so all the municipality that I was working with in English, I was sort of being resistant and defiant in my punk rockness to say, well, what am I going to do in New Orleans with, with all this knowledge and stuff? What, what can I do to preserve my own uh, stuff or our stuff? At this point, it belongs to all of us, and I, I don't want this to just end up dark, uh, dusty, and, and no one interested in it. So I have not only combed through the historic New Orleans collection and Tulane libraries, but I those repositories, just as the Alexandrian library, for me, Tolkien and... Uh, uh, Champollion, a lot of these people who deciphered language, they're not mythological creatures. They're people who did what I'm kind of doing in a long road of uh, just collecting grammars and uh, little childish games of uh, practicing uh, alphabets. And I really uh, enjoy uh, singing material that I'm actually literate enough to read in Cyrillic read in Greek, read in Aramaic, read in German, read in um, Hebrew. Because a lot of material, I'm a cantor, so I'm using the the actual stuff, but I'm actually building a relationship with the actual text and the actual word, logos. So so that's pretty, you know, a tall order, but for me, that's like the jigsaw puzzle or the crossword puzzle for me. I really enjoy that, that... invisible relationship uh, with the mind uh, and and the the role of uh, text. I, really I like that like you're that. learning the Greek characters through mythological names here. Well, good, because uh, <laughs> my nephews who are in their own minds, uh, they're pretty good with language too. And we wrote out Hercules and uh, a lot of really famous names that we take for granted that we... Uh, well, for example, I, I live in the, uh, I live on Britannia, Thalia, and Melpomene, and I have to be careful when I'm speaking Greek or uh, New Orleans English. Yeah. <laughs> I will say a wrong name or mispronounce it. But if you really think about uh, the street that they call Calliope, <laughs> uh, Calliope in Greek means beautiful voice. But the calliope, the anglicized version of the word, is not a beautiful voice. It's actually a really frightening uh, sound. <laughs> and it does sound ancient Greek in its uh, kind of uh, Medusa sounding. If the Medusa had a sound, the calliope would be my <laughs> version of, yeah, that's a bad sound. So I live between tragedy and comedy, which is uh, Thalia and Melpomene. Yeah, and yeah. what's kind of fun is it's supposed to inspire and... I am an artist in residence uh, at the place that I live, and it's uh, kind of fun, uh, that aspect of uh, me growing up and house-sitting for years, so now I get to house-sit a larger property that's uh, 
the Creole Gardens, and uh, I was in a rock band with the owner of the hotel. So I have a lot of privilege based on my, my many myriad of uh, histories and uh, how I um, get to do my work and not feel um, defeated by, because, uh, you know, I was a kid living uptown. I was born in Treme, but I moved uptown when I was four. And I grew up in the River Bend area in Pigeontown. And uh, I worked at Kinko's uh, after I worked in a ceramic shop. So my first job at 12 was in a ceramic shop with a Jewish woman who owned, atheist woman who owned the shop. She had a Hudun uh, voodoo uh, priestess who smoked cigars and had a mustache and her name was Miss Irene and she taught me about voodoo. Uh, I learned about Judaism from uh, uh, the owner of the uh, ceramic shop and I was an altar boy at Mata Della Rosa uh, and my school was at Mata Della Rosa and I still vote there and I'm making these idols. I'm making these sort of uh, ceramic versions of, of, of language. Um, bust of King Tut, Bust of Nefertiti, Darth Vader. I'm, I'm making <laughs> physical shapes of these things that have names. So it's all the same. It's like King Tut exhibit came to New Orleans when I was working at this uh, place. But then I got a job at Kinko's, and I was the youngest worker that ever worked at Kinko's. So printing and um, books pretty much kind of dominated most of my life. Uh, but I became a singer for a rock band. <laughs> uh, and that group was uh, shot down in Ecuador Jr. And I got to play with uh, Jane's Addiction, Nine Inch Nails, Gore, Faith No More, uh, the Pixies, just tons of punk or indie rock bands. But I started out in hardcore punk music. And ironically, this punk band Agent Orange uh, did a cover of uh, Misery Lou and Misery Lou is the theme from uh, Pulp Fiction um, uh, but I sing that in Greek and I get to share this bridge song with a lot of American musicians who may not realize that hey you already know a Greek song let's uh, <laughs> do this song and Misery Lou is sort of like this Rosetta Stone Misir is Egypt in uh, Arabic and Miss Lou is a girl, and looking at it in Greek, you'll see Ah Yahabibi, which are things written in Greek, but they're Arabic, Arabic words. Yeah. And I, who knows if they were talking about a Turkish girl or what, but um, I love that uh, relationship that everybody is familiar with, with, with the unknown until the club comes and hits you in the head and you say, Eureka, I got it. <laughs> So you so you sound like you've had this lifelong kind of exploration of language. If you like if there's listeners out there who maybe are interested in that how do you, how would you suggest if you have interest in language, how do you find that around you and the people around you? Uh well, no one read to me as a child, so I had encyclopedias and my parents had the Britannica uh, version of uh, Encyclopedia. So even at a young age, I was looking at pictures of things like uh, ancient Egyptian things like the Sphinx and the pyramids. So before I could speak, I was actually looking at hieroglyphs. And later on, when I started traveling, um, 
I went to uh, some of the world museums and I actually found the Rosetta Stone and touched an imitation of it and a replica of it in the British Museum. So I had traveled quite a bit on my own around the world. I lived uh, in Berlin in 84 to 85 and I went to a lot of museums on my own and explored this for myself. So here's another case of seeing antiquities from places uh, instead of looking at books and pictures, uh, you can actually travel and go to sites that those things that we are confronted with, uh, uh, we can learn a lot by simple words and the names of places. So rivers, uh, like Bulbancha, names of places that other people call other things may mean something different today, but sometimes, uh, it means stuff infinitely. Bobancha's still a place. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, true. It is. That is so true. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, nice man. overlap there. That was a nice connection. Yeah. So. No, I mean this is this is a, I, yeah this is incredible. I mean I'm really I really love this uh, approach here that you've got um, to you know mm -hmm. putting together uh, mm. a reference thing, a reference point, a tool that you can have in your daily life or something that you can access because it's all about that repetition, the mo the, the mother of memory. You know the idea of uh, repeating and 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 how to kind of like get it back to not just not just mother tongues, but a mother tongue mm -hmm. or a, a tongue that speaks in many languages. And, and that is what I'm seeing here as, as, as I'm just like looking at your, your book and, and just picking up on just some, yeah. And, and just, you know, what an exploration, what a, a sort of like, I like it's big, you know, and it, it, it has a lot of room to be able to work through. And I made it. And you've got, it's graph paper. Is that right? It's hand-lined paper by an 80-year-old 80, oh, hey. man hand who put the paper. lines on it. I sewed it. I oh, glued yeah. it. I backed it, and I'm going to put the cover on it. And uh, I use it because I also sing and record with the Panorama Jazz Band. And every now and then they'll go, hey, Joe, we need you to come sing something. So I get to play at Preservation Hall and uh, at uh, Spotted Cat and sing in a lot of kind of bizarre settings, uh, second lines and stuff with, uh, for funerals and all types of interesting events, utilizing my, uh, fancy four language. So I recorded a Greek song with, uh, the Panorama Jazz Band, um, with some really, uh, pretty amazing musicians, but Ben Shank, the leader of the group, has been one of my mentors since I was a kid. And he also was a member of the Musica de Kama uh, chamber group that I am still kind of on the periphery of because we've disbanded after our uh, uh, lead singer died uh, last year. And so Sunday I'll be performing a concert in tribute to her uh, at Ursuline Church, uh, Our Lady of Prompt Sucker, uh, on uh, State Street at 3. And... My father also worked for uh, the director of uh, Musica de Camera. He w had two full-time jobs. He worked at Lydonner Bakery in the late at night, and he worked at the university in the day with uh, Dr. Sherman, 
who made, he was a head of the architecture department and he made the instruments that I play in the group. Um, so I, I have this more tangible relationship with language. It's not just this frivolous sort of funny, like, yeah, I'm into this and I'm interested in this. It's like, I get thrown a lot of bones of, okay, here's this and I get paid, but the idea is that I also walk away with, uh, well, let's just say my favorite Celtic proverb is there's meat and music in this hide as the fox ate the bagpipe. <laughs> that was an initial written by a monk because monks couldn't sign their names and books and stuff. But, you know, by the time I got to see the Book of Kells in Dublin, I, uh, you know, had touched a lot of pretty cool books. And now I've got clearances to libraries around the world as a bookbinder to further my journey and interest in uh, language and um, uh, book book art uh, so i it, it's a it's not a uh it's an ongoing growing um adventure for me um and as i said champollion who uh deciphered the rosetta stone uh and tolkien were people i didn't really care about what the works that they did but the fact that they were musical they created language they deciphered um ancient language uh, uh mysteries that had the uh, strong appeal to me. Um, and it wasn't from the love of reading. I mean, I really hated reading and I really felt dyslexic. I really felt like I couldn't understand things. And this was a testament to maybe show to people who really don't read well or read music very well that it's a, you can partake in music and art in more forms than just the standard ballet of classical standards and the, uh, cold classical music that can sometimes be pretty refined and exclusive. So in this case, Listenel, the group I'm working with now, is giving me that meat and music from the hide that the fox ate. <laughs> so that's great. That's great. So is is this? Do y'all have performances? Coming up, or if anyone listening wants to see it all, or... 2020 will be at uh, Noma. And um, uh, I think that's it I mean, for right now. But we are definitely going to be working together because we have a new band member that's going to be born in August. So <laughs> <laughs> we're waiting to see what he will contribute to the group because... Uh, uh, Anyway, we just have a lot uh, to look forward to in yeah, exploring great. this group. So that's great. Yeah, pretty remarkable. Thank you. This has been another episode of No Good Poetry.